0: like I said, listen, it's, it's good to be back. For those of you who, who have asked, uh, listen, Harlow and Jenna are doing great. There is a story with her birth. I'm, I promise you I will share that um, at some point. I think I'm still processing everything that, that went on, but, but man, we had just a, an amazing experience. I, I left the house this morning and Jenna was getting up and Harlow was still asleep. Amen and amen. Uh, but, but honestly, like I, I said, I'm a little tired. We're, we're honestly, to be to have a newborn in the house, we're getting, like, we're getting pretty decent sleep. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sleeping like six hours a night. Jenna would probably say, <laughs> say something different, but everyone is great at the house. So thank you so much for all the phone calls, all the text messages, um, all the cards, everything that you guys have done for us. We just feel so loved and, and so appreciated. And I think they'll be making their appearance here in about five or six weeks. So I'm sure we'll be able to all see baby Harlow. So today we're starting, starting our new series today. Our new series today called Greater Things. And throughout this series, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And today's message, if I needed to title it one thing, it would be this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. We're going to be in John chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Our key verse for the entire series is going to be John chapter 14, verse 12. And Jesus says this, very truly, I tell you. Whoever believes in me will do works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Going to the Father. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, Scripture says that He sent the Holy Spirit so that we, so that you and I, could do greater works than even Jesus. It's like, Pastor, can you... Can you say that? It almost sounds like blasphemy a little bit. What do you mean we're going to do greater things than Jesus? Listen, I'm not saying this. Jesus himself said this. Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than me. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Our, Our goal throughout this entire series is to bring teaching and understanding to the person, the power, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So greater things. In the last couple of weeks, God has been teaching me a lot more about fatherhood. Those parents that have multiple kids in the room I, listen, I, I was a skeptic. I had Piper. I was like, there's no way. Before Harlow was born, I'm like, "Sorry girl, like, I, I love Piper." like, how, how do I love two kids?" How am I going to, and it was, this, it was this thing that I wrestled with, and it was probably called being a guy, because my wife was like, I already got it figured out. I didn't have it figured out. And then Harlow was born, and I'm holding her, and it was almost like I was the Grinch, and my heart just started to grow three times its size. Like, I just, I just figured it out. Like, I just figured out how, how to love more than one kid. Harlow was born May 5th. Like I said, she was happy and healthy. And, and here's the deal. Did, did anybody else see it? Like, uh, Piper just loves being a big sister. Anybody, any other parents in the room that had multiple kids, it's like the older kid was like like a mini parent. <laughs> and, and they didn't complain about it. Well, she hasn't yet. It's like, baby, can you go upstairs and grab grab a diaper? Yeah, daddy. Oh, man, I probably should have her, told her to get some wipes too. Baby, can you go back upstairs and get some wipes? Yeah, daddy. Dang, my phone's about to die. I don't I'm holding, baby, can you go upstairs? Piper, can you go upstairs and grab daddy's charger by, by the bed? Yeah, and like she, she just loves, she just loves helping. And, and so I had this, this moment where I felt worried, and, and then I kind of moved past that because, because I was called to be the father to Piper and to Harlow. And, and I went on thinking that this series would be about the Holy Spirit, but really it's about the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. You you can't separate one from the other. You always have God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Throughout scripture, they're never separated. They're always one, and that's something that, that we have trouble realizing sometimes. Now, here's the thing in modern churches. The Holy Spirit is either not taught or it's misunderstood. It's either not taught or it's it's misunderstood. I feel like there's a few different people in the room. Maybe maybe you're in the room and the only time that you've heard the Holy Spirit taught about was when it was taught against. That the Holy Spirit was for biblical times. That the Holy Spirit was for the book of Acts. That the Holy Spirit was maybe just for the Corinthian church. That the Holy Spirit isn't for here and now. Or, Or maybe there's another group in the room. And you really have no frame of reference for the Holy Spirit. That that you've been in church a few times or or maybe you've grown up in church or or maybe you're just coming to to the church uh, for the very first time and you've never heard the Holy Spirit preached about. You've heard of the Holy Spirit, but but you really don't have a frame of reference. What's the difference? What's the purpose? Why, Why do I even need the Holy Spirit? And maybe you're in the room and, and maybe there's a third group. And maybe you grew up with the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's some of you that that grew up with the Holy Spirit, but in seasons of your life, you've seen the Holy Spirit misused. I feel like if we if we look at that, then all of us will fit in one of those three categories. For me, for me, I didn't grow up in the church. And then I went down to a Pentecostal church college in a Pentecostal town in, in Lakeland, Florida. And, and I, remember, I remember my first encounters with the Holy Spirit. And I remember this thing called a revival. <laughs> Anybody know what a revival is? Y'all remember like a good old tent revival, right? Like I, I, I've been to a few of them. You're like, Zach, you're not that old. Well, I am now because I had a birthday. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but I, I remember going to these tent revivals and, and the first one that I went to, I'll be honest with you, I was a skeptic. First tit revival that I went to, I was like, this ain't for me. I didn't grow up in the church. I'm going because that girl was cute and she says she's going. So I guess, like, I guess I better go. Right? Like, or or those guys, they they follow Jesus and and they pray really cool. So I guess I need to follow him. Again, I wasn't, I was like a new Christian. I didn't know what was going on, but I was like, all right, I'll go, I'll go to this revival. And I remember encountering the Holy Spirit. And it was one of the most real and tangible things that I've ever felt in my entire life that I can't explain. It's something that I can talk about. But until you've experienced the Holy Spirit, until you've felt the Holy Spirit, it's something that's almost unobtainable until you experience it for yourself. And then I remember the second tent meeting that I went to. And I was excited to go to that one. I was like, "I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to encounter the Holy Spirit. It's going to be just like last time. And and at this point in my life, I was already in the Marine Corps. I started getting a little bit of size on me. And and I remember getting in this line because this pastor was going to come around and pray. And he got to me and he prayed for me and nothing happened. And he prayed for me and nothing happened. And he laid his hands on me and nothing happened. And and then he started to to push me a little bit. And and I remember how I I just felt like this this is nasty. Like, this is being misused. This isn't what the Holy Spirit... It was just a bad experience, and it left a bad taste in my mouth. So I've had the good, I've had the bad, and I've had the ugly. And I think if we don't teach on the Holy Spirit, we'll never fully understand what the Holy Spirit is for in our life. Again, the Holy Spirit is either often ignored because it seems dry or it's misunderstood and can seem weird. Anybody ever had a dry steak? It's like you had all the seasoning, you had all the ingredients, and you cooked it. You thought that your grill was at the right temperature, and then you cut into the steak, and you take a bite, and it's dry. And what what happens when you have a dry steak? You don't want the rest of it, especially if you've had a good one before, right? Same thing in our life. If we've experienced the Holy Spirit, and then we have a dry or a stale moment, we don't know how to comprehend what's going on with the Spirit's real, then why do I have a dry moment? If the spirit is really there, then then why does it seem stale in this moment? This is what scripture teaches, is that the spirit is always pointing to the son and the son is always glorifying the father. The spirit never points to the spirit and the spirit never glorifies individuals. So, So what does that mean? Everything in my life, everything in your life, every accomplishment, every business deal, every successful moment should always glorify God. Everything that we do in life should glorify God. The problem is, we walk through life and we start glorifying ourselves. We start saying, Well, I I did this or or, I did that. And then we, we remove the Holy Spirit from sections of our life. And then when the Holy Spirit reveals himself, we don't know how to comprehend that because we've removed him from where we feel like he should be removed. It should always glorify God. And if it doesn't, you know that someone is acting in the flesh and not the Spirit. told you we were going to be in John chapter 14. And let me kind of set the scene for us. Jesus is comforting his disciples while he explains what the power of the Holy Spirit is for. So John 14 verse 1 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Another translation says this, Don't let this rattle you you trust God, don't you? Then trust me. So the question that I had to ask myself is why would, why would the disciples be rattled? What is Jesus talking about? Why, why would the disciples feel like life was coming against them? Why would they feel rattled? Let's take a look at just some of the immediate context. In John chapter 12, Jesus told his disciples in code that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to die. And then in John chapter 12 later on, we learned that many people really didn't even believe that Jesus was who he says he was. People were starting to denounce Jesus. They were starting to fall away. And then in John chapter 13, right before he says, don't be rattled, Jesus himself says, one of you 12... You're actually going to betray me. And then in a moment in a moment of just aggravation, Peter says, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Peter says, Lord, I'll do anything that you want me to. And then right before uh, John 14, 1 and John chapter 13, verse 36, Jesus says, Peter, you're actually going to deny me. So now that we've set the scene in John 14, verse 1, Jesus says, don't let all of this stuff rattle you. Jesus, what do you mean? You just told us that one of us is going to deny you. you Imagine being Peter. Jesus, you just told me that I'm going to fall away from, I'm not supposed to, how am I not supposed to let that rattle me? Don't let this rattle you. What about our life? You look back several years and maybe in your life you see a divorce. She says, hey, don't let that rattle you. Maybe, maybe you're in a rough relationship with that kid or that parent and it's on the rocks and, and Jesus is saying, hey, don't, don't let that rattle you. What about that business deal or that house that you wanted to buy because you wanted to flip and you wanted to make some money and, and it, the deal fell through right at the last minute and Jesus says, hey, don't, don't let that rattle you. Maybe, maybe uh, I'm, I'm going to preach to myself for a second. Maybe you've been trying to figure out uh, why steel and wood is going through the roof and you're trying to build a church building and Jesus is looking at me and saying, hey, Zach, don't, don't let it rattle you. Been trying to figure out some water. Got a, town, a meeting with the town tomorrow. Hey, Zach, don't, don't let it rattle you. I don't know what you're going through, but don't let it rattle you. Jesus himself says, don't let it rattle you. The Greek word for rattle is... Is tarasso, and that means emotional aggravation. So what is Jesus really saying? He's saying, hey, don't be emotionally aggravated. You ever been there? Anybody else ever get emotionally aggravated? I I get emotionally aggravated a lot, and that's the problem with a lot of Christians. As soon as they get rattled, as soon as they get rattled, their life falls apart. Why? Because they let themselves be emotionally aggravated. And when they let themselves be emotionally aggravated and they're not attached to the work of the Holy Spirit, then their life falls apart. Listen, I love, I love playing sports. I, I, I love it. I love competition. Listen, I'm, I, and, uh, here, here's the deal. I'm never the most athletic person on the court or on the field. And, and if Paul was sitting here right now, by the way, pray for Paul. Uh, he tore his Achilles this past week so he has to have surgery, um, so keep, keep him in, in your prayers. I was talking to his father-in-law uh, this morning, and he said, well, we know when Paul's up because all you hear is thud, 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 because he's hopping around the house. Uh, but listen, he, we're, we're gonna continue to keep him in, in our prayers, and I, and I wrote this sermon before uh, he, he tore it, so I'm gonna act like he's sitting here because I told him I was gonna talk to him. But if Paul, if Paul was in the room, he, he, know, he knows that I like to trash talk. Now listen, before you judge me, all right, all the greats did it, Michael Jordan did it. Magic Johnson did it. Larry Bird did it. Kobe Bryant did it. Like listen, And, and, and to me, I, listen, the way I read scripture, I think that Jesus even did it to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's just me. Y'all read y'all's Bible like Jesus was like, let's sit down and play patty cake. Nah, like Jesus was talking junk sometimes, all right? And here, here's the deal. Why would, why would they do it? Why, did, why do great competitors, why do they talk junk? Pat, you get, it being, you get it being a pitcher. You talk junk because you know if you can get some re- mental real estate in some, between somebody's ears, you've already won. If you have some mental real estate, then you already have the advantage. We're going to play basketball later today. I'm going to talk a little bit of junk. You're a foot and a half taller than me. I'm going to talk junk like I'm seven foot tall and that I can beat you, right? Well, why? Because I know if I can get some mental real estate then I have, I have a little bit of an advantage. But what makes, some, what makes some competitors great? What makes some athletes great? It's this. It's that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the game that they find themselves in, they can always perform. Regardless of what's going on, they can always complete the task. They can always complete the play. They always have, like the kids would say, ice in their veins. There's no kids in the room. I guess because you're supposed to laugh. But I say that when I'm playing basketball, I'm like I got ice in my veins. I might be O for 12, but the next shot that I shoot, I'm gonna shoot it like it's going in. The the next shot that I take, I'm gonna act like I'm the one that's supposed to have the ball. And Jesus is teaching us that our circumstances can be shaken, our circumstances can be agitated, but our hearts can be at peace regardless of what's going on in life, when we have the Holy Spirit working in our life, we can be at peace. May 7th, 1989, Chicago Bulls are playing the Cavaliers. And it's a game five situation. And there were 11 seconds left on the clock. And Jordan hits a jump shot to go up by one with eight seconds left. But the problem is the Cavs had the ball. And when the Cavs have the ball, they go down and they score, they score quickly. So the Bulls are now down 100 to 99. There's Three seconds left on the clock. What happens? The Bulls inbound the ball. Jordan gets the ball near the three-point line. He takes a couple, couple dribbles towards the basket, and then he pulls up for a jump shot. And at the buzzer, the ball goes in. Jordan had ice in his vein. This shot will be forever known as the shot as the Bulls beat the Cavs 101 to 100. Man, Jordan, regardless of the circumstances, he was going to compete. Jordan, regardless of of who had home court advantage, he was going to compete. Regardless of what the crowd was saying, he was going to compete. He wasn't going to be rattled. The question is, are we going to live our lives that way? Are we going to live our lives as competitors that can't be rattled by the crowd? Are we going to be people that have ice in our veins that regardless of what life throws at us, we know that we have the Holy Spirit working beside us? So three quick things as we look at Scripture that you have to ask yourself. Looking at John chapter 14. First question that you have to ask ask yourself. Do you know where you're going? Do you know where you're going? And then you have to respond to yourself by saying this, I'm not going to be rattled because I know where I'm going. John chapter 14 verse 2 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. You know the way to the place where I am going. What I love about the scripture is that we recognize that Jesus is a placemaker and we're all on a journey. We're either going to end up with Jesus for eternity or without Jesus for eternity. Not a scare tactic. It's the way my Bible reads. We're all on this journey. We're all going to this place. The question is, where are we going? The second question you have to ask yourself is, do you know how to get there? And then you have to respond to yourself by saying this. I'm not rattled because I know the way. I know the way. Anybody like me, you try to go places without using maps. Anybody else like me, you get lost without using, without using maps. I, I do it all the time. I, in fact, I've stopped doing it. I'm just like, hey, Siri, can you get directions to Whatever, right? And, and so I'm, I'm always using a map now because before maps and before Siri, I would just be like, no, I can figure it out. I, I've, gone, I've gone that way before. I've had that experience before. I can, I can figure it out. I don't, I don't need a map. And inevitably, like I said, I get lost. John chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? In verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, but how? Except through me. This is the unpardonable sin of post-modernity. It's to say that, that Jesus is the only way. So, so here, here's the problem. In, in our society, Christ, people, our society looks at Christians like we have three heads, if we say that Jesus is the only way. society will say, no, you make your own truth. Society will say, no, you use your own maps. You think you've been that way before? Just go ahead and travel your own journey in our society and in, in, in our culture. Your truth can be your truth. Just like we try to find our own way by using our own maps or, or our own sense of direction, we do it in life. That's your truth. That's okay. That's your way. That's, that's okay. Your truth is Allah. That, that's okay. Your, your truth is Buddha. That, that's okay. Your truth is nature. That, that's, a, that's okay. Your truth is fill in the blank. That, that's okay. Church, I'm not saying this to condemn anyone. I'm saying I'm saying what I'm, I'm, I'm going to say what I'm about to say to show us a true path, not because Zach says it, but because the Bible says it. Too many pastors and too many people are bending the word of God to fit into cultural constructs to make individuals feel good. We're trying to bend the word of God just to make sure everyone feels accepted. We're trying to bend the word of God just to make sure that everyone feels like they belong. Here's the thing. We don't have to bend the word of God. Jesus himself says, I am the way. Just come to me. Here's the thing. Jesus himself says, I'll accept anyone and everyone. We don't have to bend the word to try to make people feel accepted. Jesus says, I accept you the way that you are. But I love you enough that you wouldn't stay that way. We have to stop bending the word of God because Jesus is more than a good moral teacher. I've heard it too much, especially in the area that I live in. And I'm not just talking about—I'm just talking about the region. I'm not just talking about Davidson. I'm just talking about our societal constructs. That Jesus is a good moral teacher. Too many people have fallen away from the church, but they'll still look back and go, "Well, Jesus is a good moral teacher. I, I can follow some of his teachings." to. I'm going to keep going. I don't even care. I'm going I'm to keep going. Y'all can keep recording this. We'll just blast this everywhere, all right? But Jesus is far more than a good moral teacher. Well, how, how do you know that? That's a bold statement. It's a bold statement for you to be able to say that. Well, I'm not saying it. The Bible is saying it. And another problem is we've removed the Bible as an anchor for who we are. We've said, you know, my truth is going to be my truth. And if the Bible aligns with my truth, th- then it can, be, it can be a part of what I believe. But I'm going to be my own anchor. I can't, I can't do that. As a pastor, I can't do that. As a person, I can't do that. As a follower of Jesus, I will not do that. Scripture says this in John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus is speaking and he says, This, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father to the Father except through me. The way is not a direction, the way is a person. The the, the way is not a direction, the way is Jesus Himself. And once Jesus is rejected as the way, then truth becomes relative. And if truth becomes relative, then none of us have an anchor to hold on to in life because your truth can be your truth and my truth can be my truth. But how many of us know that we've changed a little bit in life? I'm not who I am. I'm not who I was yesterday, right? At 32, I'm not who I was at 16. At 32, I'm not who I was at 25. And some of y'all are saying, I got some more years on you, Pastor. And you're and, and yeah, at 68, you're not who you were at 30. If our truth changes, then it changes when we change. I want to be anchored to something that doesn't change. Early Christians were called followers of the way, not because of what they followed, but because of who they followed. C.S. Lewis put it this way in Mere Christianity. He says this. He says, that is the one thing that we must not say a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a good moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be a devil from hell. You you must make your choice, he says. Either this man was and is the son of God or something else, he was a madman. He continues to write, you can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or, or you can fall at his feet and you can call him Lord and you can call him God. The next question that you have to ask yourself is do you know the Father? Do you truly know who the Father is? And then you can respond to yourself by saying, I'm not rattled because I know my Father. John 14, verse 7. Jesus says, if you really know me, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know Him because you've seen me. Jesus says, you know the Father because you've seen me. And and though we're talking about the Holy Spirit, And though this series is going to be about greater things because of the Holy Spirit, we can't separate the Father from the Son. And we can't separate the Son from the Spirit. And we can't separate the Spirit from God. If we've seen Jesus, then we've seen God. If we've seen God, then we've seen the Spirit. I'm willing to venture that that no one in this room has ever met my dad before. My dad passed away about three years ago. And you guys have, have heard the story. But, but it's funny to me, the things that I picked up from my dad and the way that I act as a father now, and to be honest with you, it's the things that used to absolutely drive me crazy. Like I'm picking up the tendencies from my dad that used to absolutely drive me nuts. It's the way that my dad would joke. I'm like, dang, I'm saying the same jokes that I used to like roll my eyes at. Anybody else in the room? Like you pick up some of the things from from your parents but I also picked up the drive my dad had I picked up the tenacity that my dad had I picked up that competitive spirit that I talked about that my dad had listen my dad would play horse with me in the driveway for 20 bucks every night like like that's just like that's the competitive spirit that we had going back and forth but this is what I know if you've seen me then you've actually seen my dad if you see the way that I act then you've actually seen my dad I've noticed it more and more in the last few weeks. It's even in the way that I pick up my daughter. It's the way that I tickle her. It's the way that I, it's the way that I play with her. It's the jokes that I tell her. I drive my dad's truck. When he passed away, I was able to kind of keep my dad's truck. And, and I've noticed that it's even the way that I drive. The way that I hold my hand on the steering wheel. When the weather's nice, I'll roll down. It's even the way that I hold my arm out the door. It's how I change the radio station. It's how I run, it's how I hold my hands. It's how I look at myself in the mirror. There's so many things that I do because I watched my dad, him teaching me how to hunt and fish, him teaching me how to say yes, sir, and no, sir. if you've ever spent any time around us with our daughters, anytime they respond, we say yes, sir, no, sir. Not right or wrong, right I'm not condemning anybody that doesn't all right. I know it's not thinking in the word, but that's <laughs> a joke. Uh, it's it's just it's just the way that i've raised my family i've picked up so many things from my dad but regardless of what he was doing regardless of, of how we were interacting he was always teaching me he was always loving me he was always guiding me the list goes on and on but the purpose remained the same his purpose was to always be my dad his purpose was to always be my pops Later on in life, I called him my old man. His purpose was to be my old man. He was always imparting things in me every single day. And sometimes we can't make that connection to our our heavenly Father. For some reason, we can't see that connection that he's always teaching us through the Holy Spirit. He's always guiding us through the Holy Spirit. The way that we live our life, he's always setting a path for us through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. God's entire purpose of being God is to be your father. Listen, God was already God before you were here. God was already God before humanity. God was God before Adam and Eve. But then God created Adam and Eve so that he could be their father. God created you. God created me so that he could be our father. Now now here's the deal here's the deal if you're like me I told you at the beginning of service sometimes we don't feel that way verse 30 says this for the ruler of this world is coming but he has no claim on me that's what Jesus said the ruler of this world is coming and he tried to destroy Jesus but he didn't have a claim on Jesus The ruler of this world is coming, and he's going to try to destroy you, but if he didn't have a claim on Jesus, then he doesn't have a claim on you. So regardless of what you're dealing with, you have the work and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you because the enemy has no claim on you. Verse 25 says this, these things, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the help. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Remember, you can't separate them. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking, but he's saying God's going to send them. can't separate them. He will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let not your hearts be rattled. Neither let them not be afraid. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to stand all across this room and we're going to go back into worship. Why? Because some of us need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is working even now. That the Holy Spirit is here to guide you. He's here to direct you. And He's here to lead you.